You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about sales enablement, the impact it can have on an organization. What is it really? Why it's so critical and really important how to evolve it to version 3.0. To help us, we have with us Roderick Jefferson, Vice President, Field Enablement for Netscope and author of the new Amazon bestseller, Sales Enablement 3.0, The Blueprint to Sales Enablement Excellence. Roderick, thank you so much for taking time and welcome to the show. Chad, my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So we always like to start with kind of an off the wall question to help our audience get to know you a little bit better. And I'm always curious to know something you're passionate about that those that may only know you from the book or from um, work might be surprised to learn about you. There are actually a couple of things. One is being a Texan barbecuing. Absolutely (laughs) love it. I create my own rub, my own sauce, got the big drum smoker. So out there doing everything from ribs to chicken to you know, the brisket, et cetera, right? So that's one. The other is really surprising. And for most people that don't understand, it's a game called bocce. Ah, and think yeah. about large marbles out on a course. And look, I'm down for any activity where one, it doesn't hurt the next morning. <laughs> and two, you can do it with a cocktail in your hand. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Have you played bocce your entire life? Is that something you came to later? How'd you? No, it's, it's actually later. So my wife is Irish Italian. We would go up to her grandfather's house every 4th of July as a family. And as a former athlete, I like to win. And so <laughs> I went up and I played her grandfather and got waxed year over year. <laughs> and I thought, how is this old guy just killing me? And so from there, we built a new home and I actually have a regulation bocce court in my backyard now. Yeah, I know I'm a little competitive. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So let's talk sales enablement. So help us understand how this has become such a passion of yours. Well, it started way back. I started as a salesperson first and foremost, right? And I went through the onboarding and all the programs that most people did way back, which was standardized training. And I was a BDR, I was an AE, and then I got promoted to sales leader. And actually turned it down because I realized I loved the process of selling more than I did taking down deals. And I didn't want that quota hanging over me anymore. To be right. honest. And so I talked myself into my first sales training role back at AT&T. And I said, look, what if I could take my rudimentary templates and roll it out across the entire region and get more people to club, which I had been to a couple of times at that point. And also get people up to speed faster and more ACV, TCV. And so yep. my VP said, well, then you got a new job. And so I <laughs> talked myself into my first sales training job. And from there, moved forward and it became sales enablement about 17 years ago. And little known fact, I'm actually the person that coined the phrase sales enablement. No kidding. Yeah, I, I am. It was actually, I was honestly in the midst of being a smart ass and having a conversation <laughs> with my sales leader. And he said, we've got a problem with discovering qualification, throw more training at it. Our people are discounting too deeply because they can't handle objections, throw training at it. Our leaders aren't able to handle the load. We need to throw more training. And I said, no, actually you train animals, you enable people. Uh, and from there it. became the genesis 
of sales enablement because it's so much more than just training. Oh, absolutely. And so that's a perfect segue. So for those, for, I mean, it's been around for a while, right? So 17 many people, years to be exact. 17 years. <laughs> and many people, you know, have heard the term, have experienced it, have come to contact with sales enablement groups. I think for some, there is still a, those that aren't in it, there's a question as to how do you define it? What really is it? So from your perspective, especially with the new book, Sales Enablement 3.0, how do you define it? How do you define effective sales enablement? Well, it's funny because initially the description of it has changed now that we're into COVID and going into that 3.0 phase. So before, I'd say, what does sales enablement really do? And I get that question a lot. I'd say it's about breaking the complexity of sales into practical ideas through scalable and repeatable practices that will lead to accelerated speed to revenue, increased seller productivity, and ultimately customers for life, driving more increased revenue. Well, times have shifted now. And now with the sales enablement 3.0 focus, it's really more of an innovative approach focused on increasing sales productivity through a systematic, personalized, and collaborative approach designed to support the buyer through what I call the conversation economy. So it's gone from us being, or at least moving, from us being seen as kind of the fixers of broken things, if you will. It's broken, (laughs) throw training at it. Right into really being woven into the fabric of the company. And it has to be a part of any definitive component of a company's go-to-market strategy now. It's a differentiator when done correctly. Yeah, there's the key, right? When done correctly. It definitely I can have be. to always add that caveat. <laughs> now, now, here's the interesting thing. When you ask people what sales enablement is, if you ask, and I say it in the book, if you ask 10 people, you'll probably get 12 answers. And none of those answers would be wrong, but none of them would be completely right either. Because what sales enablement means to a company is defined by where the company is in their maturation and growth cycle as a company. Example, if you're in hyper growth, what are you focused on? Onboarding. So that's going to be the bane of enablement for you. As you grow and you become more of a complex sale, now you've got to look at the messaging, the positioning. How do we make sure that the leaders are in tune? What's your sales process, sales methodology? And ultimately, how does this tie back to the buyer's journey? Right now, when you get to that big ticket item, that relationship sell, it all changes once again. So again, it depends on where you are and where the pendulum sits in that swing of maturation for your company. Hope that answers it. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And and you hit on a key point there. I want to go a little bit deeper on is, is the impact that sales enablement can have on the buyer's buyer's journey. Because a lot of people, when you when they think of where sales enablement sits inside of say a large enterprise, they might feel like it's a step or two removed from the face to face with buyers themselves. So help the audience understand how effective sales enablement will actually enhance the buyer's journey. Oh, absolutely. Great question. So again, I said before, it was about time to revenue and all those things. Well, let's see what COVID has done differently to the buyer's journey. First of all, there has never been a more personalized time in selling than today. We're inviting each other into our homes now via Zoom and and other pieces. (laughs) So it's not like, okay, let's go have cocktails. Let's go play golf. We're out in open air. We're out publicly. I have to now treat you as a warm and welcome guest into my home, which means I now need to figure out how to have conversations instead of giving presentations. And that begins with the buyer's journey. Enablement, the the ultimate impact is, enablement is not about getting the right answers. It's literally about teaching our sellers how to ask the right questions. Absolutely. 
I could not agree more. And so when we do that, right, the sales process has become, uh, some would say complex. I feel like it hasn't, you know, hasn't really changed. We've done it to ourselves. Yeah, we we, we made it more complicated than it needs to be. And there's a lot of... I don't know. I don't know the right analogy. There's a lot of levers that you can pull in that sales process to dial it in. And I'm always curious, we, we, you know, we work with a lot of sales enablement organizations mm-hmm. and they come in different varieties. They come in those that, that believe that they should be the one-stop shop for everything and contain all of the expertise across, you know, cross-functional communication and sales and, and mm-hmm. revenue generation, things like that. Or those that take a strategy where they want to internalize and own things in terms of accelerating the enablement across the team, the region, the organization, and will bring in experts in specific areas to help accelerate or amplify their own efforts. Which one do you think is is more effective? I don't know that one's right or wrong. Just kind of curious your perspective on what you think about should sales enablement be rely, you know, making themselves a one-stop shop or working collaboratively when it makes sense with external experts? I think that what I, the approach I take is a mix of the two. So let me give you a story of, of how I explain enablement to folks that are outside of the space or even outside of tech, et cetera, that don't know what enablement is at all. I don't even use the word. I say, <laughs> think about an orchestra, right? You've got brass, percussion, strings, woodwinds, and they're all trying to play this song together, but they're kind of out of tune sometimes. They're stepping on top of each other. They're maybe out of phase. So let's relate that now to business. Those lines of business would become sales, marketing, product marketing, product management, engineering, HR, and enablement. We're all trying to do the right thing for the prospect or the customer. But without coordination, we're also stepping on top of each other. Left hand doesn't know what's going on with the right hand sometimes. Absolutely. Until in both (laughs) situations, one person or organization, which I believe is sales enablement, the conductor steps up, taps the stand. Now all of that noise and chaos becomes a beautiful sheet of music. I love that analogy. I love that analogy. And I and I 100% agree with the organizations that I have seen be the most effective with sales enablement is when sales enablement is the, I don't want to use the word glue because that implies- No, we're the hub that's supposed to every other there you part go. of I the like organization. The hub, right? That's and what it, we do. And that requires not only an understanding and expertise in organizational management, organizational process, understanding to some extent what each of the other functional units inside of an organization from marketing to customer success or whatever do. So that brings up a really interesting question because back in the day, I can remember people saying, oh, sales enablement people need to have at least sold. But I feel like today the skill set, because of the criticality of it being the hub, the skill set for being effective in sales enablement has has gotten more complex. And so when you think of the profile of somebody who would be great in sales enablement, or maybe that you look to hire to bring onto your teams, what are you looking for skill set and personality wise? Well, it's interesting because every company focuses on their ICP, right? Their ideal customer or client profile. And they usually have it pretty dialed in and nailed. I'm going to give another acronym because the world needs more, right? (laughs) And that acronym is IEP, the ideal employee profile. Uh And so I'll give it to you from two angles, one from enablement and then one from the sales side. On enablement, I don't hire anyone on my team that has not carried a bag. And it's simply because of two things. One, credibility of being able to say, I've walked in your shoes. I have sold. I've lost. Bluebirds have landed. I pulled down whales. And I've sat at the 13th hour at the end of month and quarter waiting for DocuSigns, just like you, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Seller. <laughs> right? So yeah. that's one piece. The other side is you can't fluff someone that has done your job. 
Yeah. Right. We all went through carrying a bag. We all went through onboarding. We all sat through different workshops that we didn't want to go into the first time. And then we all saw some value out of some of them. And I won't say all, but some of them. Right. right. And so now let's align that to your seller. Remember earlier, I talked about the maturation cycle of the company. Well, in that early stage, you can get those younger greenhorns and BDRs and SDRs and such that are just kind of kicking out your product. But then when you get into that complex sale, you need someone more mature that can now talk about key differentiation, competitive advantage, business value. And then when you get to that deeper side, you need someone that's very seasoned that not only understands your ICP and what's top of mind, but can eyeball them and say, look, I get what you're doing. We've done this with others. You're not a guinea pig. We're not hoping that it works. And I can give you examples and references of where that works. Absolutely. The part of it that I always find really interesting when I work with these organizations is that there's just as much focus on, or should be just as much focus on the buyer and enabling the sales teams to have those conversations, ask the right questions, keep the solution in your pocket, if you will, instead of just, you know, run out there and talk about us versus also the the savvy, the experience, the the people interaction, the organizational, I don't, I don't like the word politics, but managing the ebb and flow of keeping these. Oh, it's politics. These... Let's call it what it is. <laughs> oh, the Make politics. No there is no non-political organization out there that has no politics. Right, they may right. be minimalized or they may be covert, but they're there. Yeah, absolutely. And then the sales enablement team has to be able to navigate that in a broader spectrum across the organization than say somebody who's siloed in like, I only work in marketing, right? And so the, these teams, the ones that I've seen be very effective and I'm, I'm continually impressed with are extremely excellent communicators and understand how to navigate the pitfalls that you're naturally going to have inside of an organization. Sometimes I think that skill set can't be taught necessarily. Do you think people that have carried um, I, I a bag? I think it can be fostered. I don't think it can be taught. And, and right. you just hit on two words that I love, right? One is navigate and the other is communication. So in the book, I actually wrote an entire chapter on that whole orchestra analogy I gave you. Yeah. And it's communication, collaboration, then orchestration, right? A lot of folks try to go to that third one without the first two. And now around the navigate piece, it's literally why this philosophy of 3.0 exists. Because look, prior to this, it was, we were going, we were kind of hoping we were doing the right things. We hit the right marks. Our metrics were vanity metrics that I call butts and seats and smiley sheets, right? <laughs> now, <laughs> like, come on, let's be honest. We've enabled 5,000 people and we got a 4.6. That and seven bucks will get you a latte, right? right? I'll talk about metrics later because that's something that's a whole other world into itself. But back to this piece, right? Sales enablement now, sales enablement 3.0 has become both an art and a science. Because there's no magical silver bullets. There's no single approach that'll guarantee that you'll be successful. Right. However, I believe there is a formula, just like any other success program, successful process program or tool that requires kind of a combination of practical application, trial and error, and a mix of a lot of conversations with all of those lines of business to understand their wants, their needs, and their expectations. And once you do that, then it'll help you as a sales enablement practitioner to navigate the twists and turns that will ultimately lead to designing, deploying, measuring, and of course, iterating a world-class sales enablement organization. That now, and I say this from the bottom of my heart, to the sales enablement practitioners, to the sales folks, to all of the lines of business that are listening, 
unless you carry a bag, stop saying you drive revenue. You do not. We <laughs> impact and we influence revenue. Unless you've got a quota, you don't drive revenue. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So now let's talk about the future, right? Because we've seen sales enablement go through an evolution over the last 17 years. What's the future hold? I think the future, and, and I'll give you another analogy. Do you remember the old uh, cartoon, The Jetsons? Uh, yes. Okay. So they had the robots, they had flying yep. cars, all of that, right? So the Jetsons were actually set in our time frame now of what they thought it was going to be. <laughs> so I'll take that analogy and now tie it to enablement. We are now sitting on a number of tools that will scale and automate in ways that have never been seen before. We're actually including things like AI and ML in our metrics piece of enablement. As I said earlier, the future is we're no longer seen as the fixers of broken things and broken people. We're no longer seen as schedulers and coordinators. We are truly sitting as part of a centerpiece and hub in the go-to-market strategy that starts at the buyer's journey, drops down to your sales process and methodology, drops down to your sales stages, then drops down to all of your assets from marketing and product marketing, and then finally at the baseline is enablement of all of the activities. It's an ongoing occurrence. It's not a single event. And Love so I, I give this analogy quickly, or excuse me, this story quickly, and it goes a little about this. With training, it's a, it's a sprint. With enablement, the future of, it's a marathon. So when you, want, when you think about enablement, I want to change the mindset and look at enablement from this angle. It should be involved in upfront talent acquisition and that entire interview process. Why? Because we are going to understand things besides whether or not folks can hit quota, and we have a much higher BS filter because we deal <laughs> with salespeople every day, right? <laughs> then it should go into, it'll go into consistent onboarding, which is role specific, right? One's too deep and then not deep enough for others. From there, then it's the ongoing occurrence of constantly sharpening that sword so we're not sending our sellers out proverbially to war with a plastic spoon. The next piece that gets left out is coaching and reinforcement for our leaders on how to be a leader, not just be a manager, right? And then the next is the measurements that I talked about earlier. And finally, another piece that gets left out, and I see this becoming more important, and that is succession planning. Uh. Now, that is the path and the stairway to enablement as we move into 3.0 versus just training people and hope that it works. Excellent. All right. So let's pivot here and talk a little bit about Netscope. Tell us about what you do, what the company's all about, how you got there. Sure. We are a cybersecurity company and working in both networking and, and security across the board. How I got here was interesting enough. They were actually interviewing someone else <laughs> for the role. <laughs> And now this is where I say your net worth is determined by your network. And that person was happy where she was, but she said, I know the absolute perfect person for where you guys are. He's been through 14 M&A activities because we're pre-IPO. We've been through 14 M&A activities. This guy created enablement. He's gone from small companies to large companies. He's done this, that, and the other, right? I talked to them on a Monday. By Friday, I had talked to nine people. <laughs> By Monday, I had an offer on the next week. It was the perfect hand and glove fit. It's not because I'm wonderful. It's more of it was the perfect time for the perfect fit in the perfect company. Great culture, amazing people, growing like a weed at 60% plus year over year, moving towards IPO at, at some point. But most importantly, it was really focused on customers. I don't mean just customer-centric finger quotes, right? 
but we really do care about our customers. And we care about something important to me, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I don't mean trying to do the right thing. I mean, doing the thing because it's right. So all of that came together and they didn't have enablement before I walked in. They simply had training and they were viewed as kind of schedulers, coordinators, and the fixers of uh, broken things and people, as I say. We now have a full-blown enablement program that is fit and growing into the, the future. And what I got out of the interview while I came here was they said, let's make our enablement function the use case for everything you talk about in the book. Ah, I love it. I love it. So, all right. So let's pivot. And I know I'm going off script off the, off the questions I sent you a little bit here. No worries. Let, let's talk about the book. What, talk about the genesis of the, of what, I mean, writing a book's no small task. So no, <laughs> writing a book is painful as a male. <laughs> it is the closest thing we will ever do to giving birth. It is painful. And I mean, painful that third trimester of writing this book, I could find time to do anything. Can I wash the car? Do you want me to go vacuum? Do you want me to go cut the grass? Anything. And so but what inspired what? you to tackle it? The, you know, there's a couple of things. One was, as I came up in the enablement game, I never had a blueprint to follow. So I learned how not to do things a lot. Right. And so I wanted to give a blueprint for those that were coming up. Also, for those that are practitioners today, I wanted to give you some tools, some templates, some real life example, practical application stories. And I talk about where I failed in this book too. It's not all unicorns and rainbows, right? <laughs> I'm like, look, this is what you don't want to do. I tried it. It does not work out well. Awesome. And I'm sure it will be a great value to anybody who picks up, especially if you're in the sales enablement, because I know a lot of people that struggle with trying to figure out how to put it together. So definitely make sure you, uh, you pick up that Appreciate book, it. everybody. Let me, let me um, say this. It's not just for sales enablement though. I wrote the book as the orchestra master, because I talk about how do you collaborate with all of the other lines of business. And I talk directly to the lines of business of what the value is of enablement of working with them as that conductor. So I don't want to box it for just sales enablement practitioners. I think across your organization, there's value in this. Yeah, I definitely understand what it is sales enablement is and work more effectively with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply, as an executive, that makes you a prospect for somebody out there. And I'm always curious. Indeed. And I think a couple of people may have figured that out by now. <laughs> and, when, and when, you know, somebody doesn't have a trusted referral into you, what works for you if somebody's trying to capture your attention and earn the right to time on your calendar? How about this? Let me give you two answers here. What not to do and then how to actually grab our attention. What not to do. Don't send me a cold email out of the blue that essentially reads, I can't believe your company exists without our product or solution or service. <laughs> that is an instant delete. All right. Do some homework. Make it. I said earlier, selling has never been more personalized than today. Personalize this. Show that this is not just some form letter that you put into MailChimp and it's sent off to me or whatever your, your package is. And you sent off to me and 8,000 other people. Personalize it. Hey, I saw that your company now just moved from 3 billion to 7.5 billion IPO. I understand some of the problems that comes with that kind of growth. I see you guys are in hyper growth mode. We've worked with companies similar to yours. Okay, now you've got my attention. You actually did some homework, right? right? And also secondly, don't send me your four email streams that say, 
Um, I guess you didn't have time to read my last one. Oh, Next I, one hate, says, I hate Clearly, um, it's not important. Then why are you sending this to me? <laughs> I learned something from, from my buddy, John Barrows, who runs JB Training, right? And John always said, if you reach out just to check in or touch bases, what you're saying to your prospect is, I bring no value to you. So delete anything that I send you. <laughs> and I absolutely agree with that statement. Now, what to do? As I said, take some time, personalize things, learn a little bit about enablement, learn a little bit about the company, and then send something out that is, you know, a lookalike. We work with people in your industry, such as, and I hate when people say, we've worked with companies like yours. My immediate right. response to them is, like who? And what exactly <laughs> is my company like that you've worked with? Because Absolutely. we have a, a pretty unique go-to-market strategy here. Yeah, you have to you have to know who you're reaching out to. <laughs> you really, you uh, yeah, really and, and you can't know. make it sound like, and, and here's the other thing. Reach out from the stance of, I want to help you, not sell something to you. Yes. I was just having a conversation with somebody about that the other day. I said, look, when I'm not in sales, I'm, I'm in problem solving. That's what I do. If you got problems I can help you with, great. If you don't, you got other problems, maybe I know somebody who can help you. I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm here to help solve your problems. All right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, anybody in the organization, one piece of advice you could give them that if they listened to, you believe would help them hit or exceed their targets, what would it be and why? You cannot exist. You will not be successful as a siloed organization. What you have to do is communicate, collaborate, and orchestrate together based upon the needs of the customer, not trying to sell them something. Yeah, when you I start working together, this becomes a beautiful sheet of music. When you don't, it's just noise and chaos. I <laughs> uh, love it. All right, Roger, where do we send them to get the book? So you can find the book, um, Sales Enablement 3.0, The Blueprint to Sales Enablement Excellence. Or you can just go on Amazon and search for my name, Roderick Jefferson. It's on Amazon. It's on um, Barnes & Noble. It's on Walmart, Kobo, all the fun stuff. It's out there in hard copy in paperback and also ebook and i'm going to break some big news we are on the verge now of finishing up the recording for the audiobook which will drop shortly nice excellent and if somebody wants to talk to you specifically about sales enablement learn more about the topics or anything where's the best place for us to send them i always say if you can't find me on social media you're not really trying <laughs> right? because it, you can find me on linkedin at roderick jefferson on Instagram at Roderick underscore J underscore associate, or you can find me on Twitter at the voice of Rod. Nice. All right. Excellent. Roderick, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to be with us today. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on and happy selling to everyone out there. All right, everybody that does it for this episode, you know, the drill B2B revexec.com share it with friends, family, coworkers. If you like what you hear, give us a review on iTunes until next time we have value selling associates, wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B revenue executive experience to ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening until next time.